0: The following is a production of Dirty Mo Media.
1: We're going to just keep racing hard and, until uh, we get the respect uh, back from these guys. They don't think straightly. I'm going to have to do a little bit more donuts. I'm not done yet. He's just a hack. He's just an absolute hack. Just putting another coin in the, the deposit box. What was fightable? I, I said what? the F word. Not have meaningless guys in the back wreck. I mean... I don't know what they're doing, uh, crashing with a couple laps to go. Thank you for that first check, by the way. I got a <laughs> set of rims for my truck and a plasma TV. What do you think? <laughs> Did he get him? <laughs> that is the truth. He had nothing. Welcome back uh, to Action's Detrimental. We're on uh, episode two. They didn't fire us after a week. That's yep. good news, right? Uh, no racing this week, but uh, we got plenty to talk about. A lot of stuff going on in the world today. Um, first, hey, by the way. They shot down... Was it a UFO? I mean, you're, you're kind of a... Yeah, I I didn't see it. I, honestly, the past week after
0: the China spy balloon, I feel like everything is just that. Like it just that. felt like it was fine. We're, yeah. we're good. Well, I saw the, the everything with the China spy balloon, right? And then two days later, they shoot down something else. I feel like that kind of just got wrapped up into the China they, spy balloon
1: for me, so I didn't pay any attention to it. Yeah, I guess they're saying it's some circular unidentified object we we could have aliens you don't believe in aliens like you sound surprised i'm a
0: skeptic i guess you don't think that there's another form of life out there
1: oh no i I definitely do but i think it's like uh a rodent uh under the earth and mars oh i I don't (laughs) well i guess i'm saying i'm not really sure that there's another intelligence out there but i mean surely there i guess there could be right i mean surely there's, there 100 percent is there's just so much and you think they're th-
0: touring the u.s currently? well i don't know about that but <laughs> it's possible i think if there are if there are aliens out there and they're touring the u.s then they're just here amongst us and we don't know like elon musk could be an alien right and
1: all right yeah no i i get it for sure um, I saw where he actually tweeted. He was like, you know, yeah, oh, it's just my friends or something coming <laughs> yeah. to the <visit> editor. <laughs> so, yeah, that was uh crazy. So yeah, they they shot down the spy balloon after uh, uh it came down. Uh, well, it it toured the U.S. first, yeah. <laughs> then once it. It left our airspace just about, they they took it down. And then now there's this thing uh, that they shot down. And they said it's like minus 40 something degrees in Alaska. So they're having a tough time getting uh, where this thing is, uh, was was flying around. So, I mean, I guess I, they did acknowledge UFOs uh, years ago. Yeah, in the government of years ago. So, yeah. I mean, I guess like, I don't know. I'm just one of those people that like has to see it to believe it. I just, I'm, I'm not. Uh, conspiracy theorist, I guess. I like to see proof, but... Right. Well, so I think the thing with the
0: whole UFO discussion is that for years, UFO um, was just a... sent To us was just a synonym for alien, right? But UFO is just... They don't know what it is. So, like, years ago, when they declassified that information that pilots had seen this UFO, right... Th- UFO sounds like alien, but it just means they don't know what it was.
1: Like, it could have been anything. Uh, it's it could an have been unidentified so- flying object, right? right? But not necessarily right? an alien. Yeah, it doesn't mean that it has to be someone
0: steering the ship. No, I mean, it, just, it doesn't necessarily mean like an ET-like
1: creature flying around. They just don't know what it was. All right, Jared. If we don't move on, people are going to tune out really quickly. We are a racing podcast, sort of. Um till now <laughs> till now so super bowl was last night yep thoughts on that great game until great the last game. minute and 45 seconds oh gosh are we going to really hinge this whole game on this it was. one play it was you don't you, you don't think so okay so i i see that everyone's just like oh you can't call holding in that situation you can't decide the game on that the game was decided when they let them get down to the 10 yard line to begin with like they still had to go down. So they were going to score something, a field goal or yeah. a touchdown. Do you agree with that? I think they were going to get a field goal. Okay. They had no timeouts left and a minute 50 to go. Yep. If the that call doesn't happen, it's just fourth down, they they got to go on. So, no, well, maybe I take that back. Maybe they did have a timeout. Still a game-winning drive. It would have been tough. I think it would have been tough on the Eagles to win regardless of that call. But I was just what a what a great game. I, 35-35, two minutes to go. Awesome. Just awesome. My, my my friends, Greg Fernelli, he's uh you know, owns Stock Car Steel, Sri. He's a crazy nut um, Kansas City fan, very similar to Boyer. I think all of them are nuts, by the way. And by the way, I knew the Eagles were completely f- when they were greasing the poles downtown so that people couldn't climb them after. Like, you can't... Well, they're doing that regardless of the outcome.
0: They're either going to blow up the city because they win or they're going to blow up the city because they lose.
1: That's a great point. So they have to do it regardless. Yeah, yeah. that's a great point. I mean, listen, Philly fans are, are, are certainly passionate about their sports, that's for sure. But when I saw them, like, greasing the poles, I'm thinking, oh, that's just bad juju. You just can't assume you're going to, you know... I- They're the state. They assume anything, right? Right. You know, just like we put salt on our roads if it's under 45 degrees, right? Just because uh, we want to prepare. But, yeah, I thought it was an awesome game. Uh, Jalen Hurts and that team played great. I do want to clear something up for the people. Uh, I said I was backing the Eagles. I said that based off of the fact that I assumed that the public would be on Kansas City. That was wrong. The public was on the Eagles. The public was on the Eagles. So I did not place any Super Bowl bets until about two hours before the game. Um, I had someone in Vegas that I know uh, pretty well. He is a professional uh, handicapper slash better, And he gave me the information that uh, I should be taking the over on the points. That felt really good to cash that what, ticket. What were the points? Uh, 51. So we cashed that ticket early in the first quarter or in the in the fourth quarter. Uh, that was my big bet. And then uh, secondary, I'm like, well, I got to put one on the team. So I, I, I go on. Um, there's a website to go on. I, I kind of look at some stats, look at some matchups and stuff. And I'm like, Eagles look better on paper. No question. But I just liked Patrick Mahomes experience on, uh, on that stage. And so I took Kansas City. And it's because the most of the public, 62% was on the Eagles. So this is all probably stuff that they've covered on Dirty Modo with Steve Latart <laughs> before the weekend. But I took Kansas. Hopefully th- Dirty Modo had the right, yeah, right choice. Yeah. Oh, their lock, by the way, was the on the over on the anthem. Boy, it wasn't a lock like I mean, it was close. So I actually took the under on the anthem to be under two minutes, two seconds, mm-hmm. and a half and a half. I think the official time was. 201 and a half so I had one second to spare and then we're all arguing last night at my friend's house about is it from when they strike the guitar or is it from when they first start singing because there are definitely yeah. two things so I think if if you had over two minutes on the anthem you won if you had under 202 and a half you won and, and there a lot of the books lines were right in between there so to clear it up I won. I won. So one big, one good. We did well, Jared. We did well. I mean, you've been with me in Vegas. I mean, I have. I have. You've been, been the, with. Me? I'm in the group chat. I know how well. Oh, did. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I always kind of equate it to like, hey, did you know? Did we win a Corolla, or did we win a? Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> did we win? You know, maybe a new LX SUV. You know. Let's, let's just buy cars for the whole family. Let's just have a fleet. So it was a good night. Um, that was awesome. I, I loved uh, the Super Bowl. is such a, such a great event. A lot of people come to it. Speaking of which, holy can we not talk about this? Who changed the channel in the middle of the 2B commercial at the end? I cannot believe that they allowed the, the TV network allowed a commercial to be aired where it looked like someone was flipping the channel. We were freaking the f- out that somebody downstairs was turning on smart TV, and next thing you know, we're grabbing remotes, hitting buttons, and we turned our own TV off. We turned it to a separate input because we thought someone was f***ing with the TV, but it was just the commercial. Yeah, I was so... And it's I, in the fourth quarter, and it's like, holy this is a pivotal part of the game and they aired a commercial that made it look like someone was changing the channel yeah i was watching i was home watching the
0: super bowl so i'm sitting on the couch the two controllers for the tv are over here and i'm just you know putting on my phone and i hear it go back to the game which is actually not the game right it goes back to greg olson and the Tubi thing cuts in and it catches my attention immediately i'm like (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> You're looking around. I'm like, looking around. Like,
0: Who, where's the remote?
1: Yeah, I I didn't sit on it. They're over here. You gotta understand. I have PTSD because my daughter shut off my my yeah. screens when I was racing. iRacing. racing. So like, I'm sitting here, you know, ready to yell at somebody for sure. But oh my gosh, I mean, great commercial, right? Because it we're all the, talking about it. A, it, but B, man, that the network could not have liked people grabbing the remotes, trying to change channels in the middle of the fourth quarter. So. Uh, it was, is very cool, but wow, it, it scared the shit out of me for sure. That, uh, kind of covers the, now we're going to be a racing podcast. Yeah, are, I guess we're going to talk about racing at some point, right? So, uh, yeah, we, I mean, there's some all season stuff. Well, hold on before we talk about any other news. I do want to go back to the clash because I, at the time of pod, uh, uh, that we podcasted last week and we talked about it, I hadn't actually seen the race first Yeah, because A, first you got to get sleep. And I didn't get any of that. I was feeling awful. Um, I am feeling better by the way. I had, I had some, I had some major issues. I'm not really sure. I I got tested for COVID flu strep. My youngest daughter had strep. I thought maybe that was it, but, um, come to find out they took my car apart and they, uh, they said the door foam started to burn. So, i'm sure that that played a pretty big role in what i was feeling Mm -hmm. um but then i had some you know it's not to get too much too tmi but i had some gi issues in my stomach and so i i was on the toilet for most of the week uh and it only happened like i i told you i'd never had heartburn before until new year's this year Uh, i'm like you know asking well what's this burning in my throat yeah and they're like uh that's heartburn but i'm like Oh, that sucks. And then I had, I guess, this week like indigestion issues where like my stomach. I at three o'clock in the morning I'm thinking I've got to go to the hospital. My stomach's gonna explode. And I ate nothing. I I, I dropped six pounds from um, Monday. Now you can't include the race, right? Because we talk about how much weight we lose during races. But I'm saying after the race, from that point to now, I lost six pounds just because of I, I couldn't eat all week. I just my. I was feeling really bad. So I am better now, though. I'm back and ready to go to Daytona. So we're about to start this season. It's going to be pretty exciting. Punk uh, Clash. Oh, you were starting? Yeah. yeah. I hadn't watched the Clash. You're really good with these tangents. I know. I get going and I just, it's tough for me to stop. This is where I need you. I need you, Jerry. All right. It's well, like, oh, whoa, whoa. stop, stop, stop. You got to go back to the Clash. Okay. I'm going to talk about the Clash. So I'll read back. I went back and watched the Clash and I'm like, Wow. At first, I said after the race immediately, you probably saw on Twitter, I said, well, you can't penalize these guys for wrecking because they would just, all of us would get penalized. I I go back on that. I I think the DBC guys got it right when they said, you got to penalize the first couple that are just absolutely egregious crashing of people. If you do that, it it stops the next twenty events from happening, and you can tell as, from NASCAR some of those some of those wrecks. You can tell when someone's egregious; they lay into whoever they're laying into. They don't attempt to slow down. They don't attempt to give the person a chance to collect it. They just pile drive them into whoever's in front of them and say, F- it. "Whatever happens, happens." I watched the fourteen. I'm not you. I watched him like just drive in and make no attempt to even make the corner multiple times. I saw this, by the way, at the Indy Road Course as well. I mean, there's something that Chase is doing where he's just giving no regard to, like, anybody that's in front of him, and he's just saying, f*** you, A, and the consequences. And it's like, that just kind of rubs me a little bit wrong, and I'm like, man, they need to just stop that bull first. And if they can do that, then I think... The rest of these events don't happen, and you have a much cleaner race. So you want the tower flowing, throwing flag? Yes, go to the back. You go to the back. You call an egregious crash. How, you go to the back. Don't you think that's going to get a little little messy? No, because you can tell when it's a racing deal. Listen, there was probably eighty-five percent of the wrecks that happened. That's that's an see, I'm exaggerating. Sixty percent of the wrecks that happened was from egregious competitors just going in there and playing paying no regard they watch somebody run into someone else and they said all right i'm gonna up the stakes and and just go ahead And I, I saw it's okay so i'm just gonna go ahead and do it now so again i think if you stop it from the beginning because if you go to the back you're f- you're not making it back to the but front surely
0: that's a product of this track
1: because you don't see that as much everywhere else you don't know you maybe see a little bit on the road course restarts. You do see it there. We saw it yeah. at Indy Road. We saw it a bunch on the road course restarts. You can see it. It is plain as day. If I was a race fan that had no idea about racing, I would say he intentionally wrecked that person. And then you see other ones where it's like, yeah, he got into him. He meant to get into him, but like he gave the guy a chance. Some of these guys don't give any of them a chance. And so um, I think that NASCAR needs to enter the chat. Well, what's wrong
0: with drivers? Just dealing with this themselves. If Kyle is upset with Joey and the way he raced him, then race him like that in three weeks down the road. I would not want to see NASCAR get in the business of throwing flags, ticky-tack calls, like at the end of the Super Bowl.
1: That's not and ticky-tack. It, Did you see the the New Orleans Saints? Uh, the, you know a few years ago. Well, you're going back the past to the pass interference and the guy of- tackled him before the ball even was within. Ten yards? That's egregious. Wait. I'm not talking about the hold at the end of the Super Bowl, where it's like, uh, eh, did he tug the jersey? Did he not? I'm talking about tackling somebody before they get off the line, just driving into the back of him yes. the corner. Yes. Egregious. Egregious. I still think possible. if if Chase Briscoe takes you out, then yeah, I agree he, that I I should just take him out. Eventually, right? it's not going to be worth the the I, reward. Right? I get it. I get it. I just I think. Like Harvick at the end, like he, he was so pissed. At, but it started two cars back because somebody refused to let off the gas when there was a corner to be had. So I just think that NASCAR needs to enter the chat on this one. I just think that it's not like they're going to black flag 10 people during the race because I think the first two that get the hammer on them and say, okay, hey, we're not going to put up with this today. The field get, takes notice and they stop it. Are you throwing a flag now with three laps to go?
0: And Joey punts William Byron into the wall at Darlington. Is that a flag?
1: Or is that okay? Because. No. William kept going. That I mean, no. That was racing for the win. And and God, I hate people. But it was intentional. It was 100% intentional. That's that's evident. It was 100% intentional. Yes. But if the wall wasn't there, he was just going to knock him up the track. But the wall was there. So it kind of kept him in track. And he still finished the race that's just different that it didn't cause a caution if you again in short track racing racing if you crash someone and it causes a caution they got the penalty because they ended up crash and they're in the back and you're gonna join them back there what a great opportunity for you to bust their ass right back <laughs> <laughs> they're right back with you uh on the caution so yeah oh and by the way ooh spicy salty yeah the legano and and uh Kyle Busch comments, I guess, you know, Kyle's calling him two faced. Joey's saying, yeah, no, I'm two faced. I admit it. Joey owned it. It
0: made me, if if I'm a fan of Joey's, that makes me like Joey even more.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that Joey's being honest and saying, yeah, I am two faced and here's how I do it on the racetrack. I I, I don't search out friends. I, my biggest thing he says is I, I'd rather be on the track than off the track. Right. That's an honest way to be. And I think what we're seeing here is a clash of personalities because what Joey kind of I don't know if he was insinuating or he was flat out saying that, well, Kyle, you're you might be a nice guy on the track and you don't write people, but you're an mm. off the track. Is that mm. what you gather from? I didn't
0: that? pick that up at all. But that's interesting.
1: I didn't get that at all. Yeah, I mean, listen, I've been teammates with both of these guys. I can't really speak to their personal lives that much. Uh, I do interact with both of them on and off the track. I think that you're seeing a clash of personalities. Because I would say this. Joey admittedly says that, yeah, I am that on the racetrack. I'm, I'm that guy. I would agree with that. And I also would agree with the fact that Kyle is not that guy on the track. I think he is one of the most fair racers I've raced against. I mean... It's interesting because he kind of puts himself as the black hat kind of guy, but he's not really mm-hmm. on the racetrack. He, he really isn't. Uh, I think he's very fair. Um, he races people hard, but super fair. Joey, probably less fair at times, more selfish, which that, that's fine. That that works for him. And then, so that's they're clashing right then on the track. And off the track, I would somewhat agree that they are different there as well. I, I think that... Um, I'm not gonna go Kyle Busch's uh, uh, complete, full blown, but I'll say that he's abrasive. You know, you know he's he's a little different in that aspect than Joey. Uh, You see, Joey he does a lot of good deeds outside the racetrack. I don't know if he's just trying to you know get that karma back, you know. But they're clashing. They're clashing, and I get it. Because I feel as though me and Joey's style clashed over the years because of that. Now, we, same kind of way. I felt like I've been fair for the most part, and he's less, and so that clashes on the track. That's what makes for rivalries. That's what makes for good competition. So, not saying one is right or wrong. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. They they definitely got personal in their yes. post-race. So how
0: do you interact? Like Kyle was mad that Joey told him, good luck, before the race, right? <laughs> So you yeah, always have this bull that <laughs> you, you always have this bullpen area before driver intros where all the drivers are chatting it up and they all look like their best buds, right? How are you handling that area with your rivals, right? Are you do you think it's okay to go up to whoever and be like, you know, good luck? And then you race them
1: like a dirtbag on the racetrack? Um Yeah, I think me and Logano do that. Honestly, I, I talked to Logano as regular as anybody off the racetrack. But I know that as soon as they throw the green, I, and, and there's been many times that I'll speak with him about racing or safety or something with the driver's counsel, uh before the race, but I'm not making believe that, like, oh, we're best friends now. I know on the racetrack okay. we're going to race cutthroat. That's just the way that we are. I mean, that's just the way our rivalry has always been. So you been. don't
0: take – if some, if a guy wrecks you, you don't take that personally
1: off the racetrack. I do not. Okay. Well, clearly I, Kyle does. That's, that's does. what I got out of that. I believe that Kyle is kind of a conspiracy theorist in the sense of like, he thinks everyone's out to get him. That's not true, obviously. Uh, but I think he's just always had that chip of like, you know, it's him against the world. And I, I, I don't believe it. I don't know if that's what he needs to fire himself up, but but certainly I think that that's his mentality.
0: Are there any other guys though that are kind of like Joey in that sense that they're very nice off the racetrack but then when they get on it they're the opposite. The
1: the driver of the one. The driver of the one. Yeah. Okay. I won't say names. Yeah, so wow. That that's kind of going back and rehashing that salty little exchange between those It was two. good. It was good. It was I like the fact that... It, it was in, good. And Junior said this on the download,
0: is that throw all these guys in a blender, right? Stir them all up, and then let's go to Daytona and start the season. No doubt. I think it's great. If the Clash does anything well, it's it's that. That's my biggest takeaway.
1: It does. It, it really does. And I, I think that, you know... The clash got so much criticism over the last week about you know the venue, the type of racing, all that. But it, it did create some storylines, which yep. is good. Um, we we we've got some great storylines going into this year. Um, you know, there's you know some competition things that are different. I'm excited about it. I think that that Daytona, just our biggest race, is just awesome. I'm so excited to go to Daytona this week for many reasons. Obviously, my success there has been awesome. And the run that we've been on in the 500 for the last, uh, 10 to 12 years has been amazing. So I always look forward going there. It's just, uh, it, it is like the super bowl for us yeah. and it feels that way.
0: What is it like from your perspective, opening the season with your super bowl versus?
1: Yeah, that's what's, that's, what's interesting, right? Is that our biggest race is our first race. Um, I like it and I don't like it. I like it because it is big Um, I like it because it does build an audience that you can see lingers for weeks after. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's good for TV in that sense. Uh, But to be the very first race, I'm not really sure. Does it need to be the very first race? I feel like if it's not the first, then it has to be the
0: last. Honestly. I don't think you get the same... It would You're not talking be the about deciding as- a championship at Daytona? No, 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 no. I didn't say that. I'm just saying the, <laughs> the magnitude fuck? of the race. Huh. You can't put the Daytona 500 in the middle of April. I don't think it has the same. The Masters is. Sure, but there's a lot of people who don't watch golf and just watch the Masters, right? I don't know. That probably didn't help my argument because there's probably a lot of people that don't watch racing that just watch the Daytona 500. Well, that's a
1: fact yeah. for sure. I guess my answer would just be indifferent. Indifferent, right? Uh, certainly, it still has its prestige, and I think it would have its prestige no matter when it was because it is the Daytona 500. I like it more at the beginning of the season. That's fair. And I
0: assume that I would if it was in the middle of the NASCAR season.
1: That That's a fair fair
0: argument for sure. 18th year, though. You said you're still excited about going there. Yeah.
1: I am. I just, uh, I just enjoy what it takes to be successful there. Luck? A- uh, luck's a factor. No question about it. At well, the, least the arguments on Twitter every time we get into the, the Daytona 500 is that, um, it's more luck than skill. Sure. You you can luck up a win at Daytona. One. You're not going to luck into two. You're not going to luck into three. That's for sure. We've seen some one-off winners, first-time winners for the Daytona 500. We saw it last year with Austin Cindric so it is possible because there is so much carnage, so much, so many crashes at that racetrack. You can see a surprise winner for that race, which we have. You consistently, if there were no crashes, you could pretty much predict the top five, in my opinion. If there were no crashes. There were no crashes. I can tell you who's going to be running top five on the green-white checkered okay. or, or at, at, the, at the end. Okay, next Sunday,
0: there's no crashes. Who's oh. running top five? See, why are you going to do that? Well, you just, you're, you're, I could predict the top five if there's no crashes. So go ahead.
1: Wow. Okay. Uh, top five, no crashes. Uh, myself. Are these in no particular order? No particular order. Ryan Blaney, William Byron, Joey Logano. (laughs) I'm missing one, right? Yeah. You got four. (laughs) I wasn't adding people, by the way. I'm just think I'm trying to buy myself some time. Uh Brad Kozlowski. Right, so how how are you coming
0: up with these? Like what are the factors in play?
1: Uh just their awareness of the draft, their decision making in the pack, strength of teams that might be that might hurt Brad slightly, although they they had a strong speedway. Yeah.
0: But uh, overall, Brad has yeah. been a successful yeah. super speed. Which I
1: so. think Ford is going to be the teams to beat um, based off of the new bodies that, that are out this year. Um, they'll be the teams to beat in qualifying. Uh, so, yeah, that, that'll be my, my my top five, for sure. I think that when you look at how strong Penske's been on the super speedways, a lot of it is because of how well they work together. But they also, you can tell they talk a lot. You can tell that they have the same techniques. So they, they go into a film session. They, they talk about how they what they're looking for and things like that. So, uh, I mean, I hate LF Bub off because he really, I'm telling you, I've said it in media for the last year. He took a step of something I saw from Daytona 1 to Daytona 2 last year that made him a top-tier elite super speedway racer. He was always good. He made those bold, flashy moves like McMurray for so many years. But getting to the front and staying in the front take two different techniques. And I think he finally got both of them starting at Daytona 2 last year. So Bubba is my honorable mention guy. It's interesting that you have Joey
0: on that list, but also yourself on that list, considering your racing styles at
1: these types of tracks are drastically different. It is, but I think that we respect each other on these type of racetracks. We actually work with each other more than we do not on speedways, believe it or not. You you don't see it much on TV, but we do... Let's just say we use each other. We use each other. We're not trying to help the other person, but we certainly are using each other to maintain our track position up front. And listen, I've been at a manufacturer disadvantage for, you know, most of my career, especially since we've been competitive on the super speedways for forever. Right. And a lot of that is because of these, you know, alliances where, you know, essentially back in 2016, when the first real manufacturer Alliance happened on a super speedway is when the Toyotas got together, we ran practice. We saw how fast our cars were together and said, well our lap times are so fast they're not going to be able to pass us so we just run the bottom so we did and we dominated the race since then you saw all the other manufacturers say okay well we're just going to run in a line and basically um you know finish this thing out so i i've been against the odds and against the numbers for a lot of this so it makes it tough so logano and his his team do a good job of staying up front uh, they usually do But individually, I've seen at times when Logano's showed a little, uh, what's the word when you become, uh, invincible, not Mm -hmm. invincible. He's invincible when he doesn't have his teammates for sure. Um, So, you know, these manufacturer alliances that you're going to see and you're going to hear a lot on TV for the first few days, uh, we talk about duels, um, they all go away, in my opinion, with 20 laps to go because I just feel like, These guys get selfish, as they should. Whoever's the fifth Ford in line or Chevy in line is not going to be fine with just pushing those other Fords, especially, or Chevys, that are not their teammates to a victory. Like They're not okay with that, and that's typically where I have excelled is that letting these guys get selfish at the end of the day, and then I capitalize. And I need wrecks to thin out the field to even the numbers for me slightly.
0: But like Joey's a guy who's super aggressive in his driving strategy. You would agree, right? At yes, least it's su- sure. Yes. Okay. And you at Super Speedway's, I would say
1: you're very passive. Uh, I wouldn't say that. I I wouldn't say that. I would say that my moves are not flashy for sure. Uh, you're
0: not making blocks
1: left and right. No. That's kind no, of what I always, yes, I always yes. my thing with blocks is like I believe my mentality is live to see the checkered. There's no one block that has to be made at any time. I I made no block on Ryan Newman entering turn three on the final lap because if I block him, 90% chance we wreck. Okay, that leaves me a 10% chance we don't wreck. That Out of that 10%, I'm probably going to get passed anyway, and then I've lost all my momentum by trying to block. So now my chances of winning are like two percent, one percent. I I knew letting him go with his huge run, a it was I was gonna have a, a a still a shot. I saw he was getting pushed by the twelve, so I'm like, well, there's a chance I could win because these two wreck each other coming to the line, and there's really no pressure from anyone coming in third at the time. So I'm like, that's a chance I could win, and that's a pretty good chance. There's a lot of wrecks coming to the checkered. And then it is, you know, when Blaney backs up to me and I reattach to him really quick, I'm like, oh, this is not over. And we're, I think I'm going to win. I really did coming off 4 I'm like, I've got the momentum. I'm pushing the 12. I'm probably going to win. And I'm like, as soon as the 12 shot to the bottom, I'm like, they're going to crash. I just have to not be in it. I just knew that (laughs) there was going to be a big, big, (laughs) big block by the six, which there was. And yeah, I mean, listen. Was it luck that like the six came up the racetrack and I barely cleared? That was luck. But then my immediate reaction is I saw where the 12 was, I went down, side draft him as hard as I could right before the line and got him. So luck is a factor in this week's race. There's no question. But that is a mat that's about twenty percent of your outcome. The rest is execution and skill set. I mean, to be fair, there's luck involved in every race, right? You need other cautions to fall when they do, to not hurt you. It is, I mean, but it is more of a factor in super speedway racing because other people dictate, more often times than not, are you going to be in this wreck? Your competitors dictate that, not yourself. So that's that's where this weekend is tough. It's tough to really predict can you uh can you
0: specify who the guys like you want to be racing around in those situations versus the guys
1: you don't want to be around whoever's the worst super speedway racer that's who i want to race against no no, well you
0: said that you that your competitors are dictating
1: your luck oh yeah oh okay so you're in a pack right no question okay no question you've seen me so many years right like be somewhere in the top five and i just bail I, I I turn left, go to the apron, and I let off. So is that
0: because of the drivers you are, yes. are around, yes. or the overall energy of the pack?
1: Both. Both. It's it's it it's a factor in who's up there, and what am I seeing? Right? How aggressive are they being? How experienced are they? Do I trust them? And if the answer is no, then I then I bail typically. But what's tough about this next gen car. You can't get back up there. You cannot get back up there as easy as you could before. Uh the three wide racing, this car has so much drag in it and for those you know not you know tuning into this podcast learning about NASCAR, drag is basically how fast your car can go in the air. There's a ratio here that's slipping my mind, but it's it's terminal velocity. So it's how much horsepower does your car have? versus how much drag it has. And drag is basically the spoiler that's on the back of our car causes drag. That's what slows our car down. The drag is on this car so high that you cannot pull out into a third lane unless you have at least, at least six to seven cars committed to that lane. So the the, the pictures we've seen of three and four wide at Daytona, I'd, I'd, I'd temper people's expectations. I think we're going to see two lanes, log jam, yo-yo effect, all race long, because that's, that's just the way this car drives, which is why I said last year, let's not l- neglect our super speedway package. It does need work as well. So when you pull out, and now that you can't get back to the
0: front as easily, how many laps do you think you need to get back there?
1: Like, can you pull out for stage one and two? two? Two fuel runs. You need two fuel runs. You need two That's a lot. Of laps. No. <laughs> That's a lot, right? So you need a lot. It just it takes a long time. I mean, we won Talladega in 2021 and I was 29th or 26th on the first green white checkered. You will not do that with the next gen. You're just not going to happen. A lot of it is because you know, for people to understand, well, why don't you just take out drag? They're trying to slow our cars down. They don't want to slow us down with more of a restrictor plate because the engine guys apparently want one engine package for all racetracks. So what they do is they, they keep us at 600 horsepower or whatever we are on, on these short tracks and intermediates. And they just put a bigger spoiler on it to slow us down. So cost cutting what we're doing is just all about, cost cutting, honestly. And, you know, what we really need is, is, is a car with a little bit less drag. Um, you can, you know, take a little horsepower down with it to, to keep the speeds down. Anytime a car lifts off the ground or gets in the fence, that's a bad thing. And NASCAR usually, you know, kind of reacts heavily by let's just slow down more and more and more. So, um, yeah. And and by the way, the draggier the cars are, the faster they're going to run in a pack. And the slower they'll run by themselves. So you're going to see a big disparity in qualifying times versus uh, super speedway times. Well, Which, by the way, cost cutting.
0: I was going to say that's a good. Se- <laughs> it's a
1: good segue to the next. Uh, we got no practice. We have one here. Still got no practice for Daytona. I might as well just suck it up and and realize that there's no politics and that's going to change that we have no practice. However, I did see that Arca's got quite a few practices. Uh, trucks have practice and Xfinity. Have practice. Cup drivers is too good. They don't need it. We're too good, too good. Don't need it. So, yeah, guess we're just gonna go down there and and wing it. You know, it, it sucks because it we're 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 blowing a storyline. We're blowing a chance to have a storyline by having no practice. And I know why. I, I asked the question to NASCAR. They said, "Well, it's because you teams said to us we didn't we don't need practice on super three Ways. And I said. I agree, but not for our biggest race of the year. This is, this is you know crazy. So hopefully they make an adjustment next year. Um, I think they will. I think there'll be enough pressure. I mean, you know the track wants it for sure. Um, yeah, it's not like we're, we're down there for thirteen days or ten days like we used to be. I mean we're already going in there just three or four you know four days before the race. So uh, NASCAR give us some practice back. I think it's a good storyline. Um, let's just get our bearings back. Uh, some of these guys getting in the cars for the first time for qualifying—that's sketchy. They'll have no practice before they go to a duel, so we don't know how our cars are going to drive. A lot of unknowns. So,
0: I was just curious if uh, Pastrana, Travis Pastrana, uh, qualifies on speed in your car. You just let him loose in the duels. I guess you kind of have
1: to, right, for, for him to get racing experience. Uh, no. No. <laughs> no. Did I mention these cars are three hundred grand? I know. And we have one backup car for all three teams. So, no. The answer is no. I used to get so mad at Joe because um, I I, I always practiced in practice. Mm -hmm. And Joe gets so mad at me. I never... You know Joe is mad when his top lip starts quivering. I mean, you can see it, right? And so, in 2019, he gave us orders. I think it was more of like a request than an order to... No practice. I don't want you guys tearing up cars during practice. It just it costs too much money and it doesn't give us enough reward. And My argument to Joe is that, well, Joe, how are you expecting me to make the game-winning play if I don't practice? I have to practice. I have to put myself in practice in positions to go out there and make that three-wide move that I did off of turn four in 2016. I need reps. You cannot expect me to be great with no reps. And he's like, like nobody else is practicing, so we're not going to practice. Well, I practiced sort of. I'm like, let me just get in the back of this pack. And I did. And somebody way up front crashed. And I'm checking up. I'm good. I'm like, Oof, I'm not a part of this. And someone comes plows into me from behind and it destroys my car. Joe pulled me in a motorhome and ripped me a new ass like you would not believe. I mean, I've never heard him say this. Because Joe... Listen, he is not a guy. He's not going to nickel and dime you. But he says to me, you're paying for that car. I said, what do you mean? He's like, I told you I didn't want practice. And you went out there and defied me, and you practiced, and you wrecked. And so you are going to pay for that car. I said, okay, yes, sir. <laughs> got it. And then I won the race, and I'll never forget in victory lane. He's like, hey, you know. Don't worry about that car. We're we're good. I said thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. I'll buy your steak and shake afterwards. So, <laughs> so yeah. That you know, certainly the car owners. I mean, the two practices we are going to have. By the way, no one's going to run in a in you know on Friday and Saturday after the duels. Once we get dual practice or you know the the race going. Yep. The two practices we have are meaningless. You're going to see people. So the engine builders are going to change the valve springs in their engines, most likely. And so we're just going to get a few laps on our engines to make sure that there's no leaks. And then we're going to pull it in. And then there's going to be maybe practice on Saturday where you might see 12 cars. Most likely it's ones that are really bad off on speed. Uh, maybe some people go out there and try to do single car runs to learn how to get faster and, and qualifying, uh, for future super speedway races. But the schedule is just kind of backwards. We have practices when we shouldn't, and we don't have practices probably when we should. So that's enough of me about the schedule. I'm okay. not going to get anywhere with it right now.
0: Well, I was going to use the, the cost cutting to segue into another talking point, which we have, which is the sports business journal article that maybe you can about. Uh, for people guys, for people who don't know, yeah. if you want to
1: give us the, all right. the background on all, right. on all of this. All right. So I'm going to pretend like no one on this podcast has ever heard anything about the disputes that are going on between the teams and NASCAR. So there was a, a major, a very big front page article on the Sports Business Journal about the teams and NASCAR's talks are heating up. Heating up as in they're contentious heating up as in there's a disagreement on uh the revenue share jared let me be honest with you i i, I need to be sensitive a little bit um so i'm only going to share what's kind of public information that you can probably read at read upon in, in this article or others i thought that adam stern did a very good and a very fair job uh, on this article uh, i was asked for many quotes i i did not Put any quotes on the record that I can remember in this article, but you know we, we talk offline, uh, at, you know every now and then. But it basically, the teams right, um, have asked for, you know roughly double what the average is that they get now. It's not because the owners are filthy greedy pig pigs. It is because the landscape of our sport has changed over the last few decades. And when we race 38 times a year, it becomes very tough for us to cut any more than what we've already cut. We are at 2311, 70-something employees, so very lean. People like Hendrick Motorsports, 500 employees. Joe Gibbs Racing uh, has cut back to probably low 400, maybe high 300 now. Um, again, they have four, you know, four car teams versus our two, but someone like Trackhouse, for instance, is probably 150, 140 employees, somewhere in that range. So we are significantly less sponsorship. We're okay. We're probably not as in, in as good a shape as what we were, uh, our first couple of years, but we were throwing some curveballs, right? You know, you look at that and, and we're trying to figure out given the schedule, how are we able to cut anymore? You know, the biggest part of what we spend is on labor and what we pay our people is what we pay them. I mentioned on Twitter the other day that, you know, we pay, you know, probably better overtime than anyone else, uh, any other teams that are out there. Um, so we do our employees, right. Uh, we do what's fair. We feel like for them, but ever since COVID, you know, things have really changed in the, in, in the, it's tough for some of these people that really have been flocking to NASCAR for so many years to want to flock to NASCAR to be part of the sport because they can make probably just as much being home half the time. And when you look at the schedule in which we put these guys through, it's very hard for, they're going to have to love racing to want to be part of it given the pay and the time that it, it takes on on someone's family. So we can't pay our people anymore, and we've been paying them about the same for a very long time. And then the schedule. I mean, we, we're we not a manufacturing facility at 2311. Um, we have to get most of our parts and pieces through Joe Gibbs Racing. And for those of you who don't know, we can't just buy everything off the shelf. There's over 300 parts that JGR manufactures that is on that race car that is not off the shelf, which is why it costs you know, the car initially is supposed to cost about 250 grand. Add in all those parts that we have to get manufactured from JGR to put on our cars, over 300 parts and over 300 grand easily, easily. So, cars cost what they cost. The travel is what it is. We can't negotiate our hotel rooms. The labor is what it is. The tires cost what they cost. There's nowhere else for the teams to cut, okay? And so what the difference is, and why we have said that the teams need more share of the revenue, is because sponsorship over the last decade or so has gone down. There's been several reasons for that. One, we had a big recession at the end of 08-09, right? That was a big turning point. And then other sports properties have ramped up how they... Advertise as well. You see patches now on all the other sports franchises, jersey sponsorships for soccer clubs, patches for basketball. Uh, I'm surprised football hasn't even gone there. But there's, there's like I think if you want to be a sponsor in sports, you have about three thousand choices you can choose from now. That number is so much more than it used to. Social media that's also been a big change, right? People are changing how they spend money. Because of social media. Now you can target. They know that you like something. They target you and they can search that ad out because you set it on your phone and that thing is listening to you 24/7, right? So they can target you and they can get to their audience that way versus just saying, okay, well, the NASCAR crowd is such and such type. And so that's where we're going to spend our dollars. So again, that's the negatives. The positives of it is that Sponsorship in our sport is that you get an experience unlike any other. You cannot get as close to the athletes in any other sport than you can in NASCAR. You cannot be in the locker room. You can't be in our pre-race meet. You know other pre-race meetings like you are in NASCAR. You can't get a autograph from your favorite player before or after like you can in NASCAR. The access is unmatched. Um, that is our advantage. That's something that people continue to want to spend in our sport for is, is that type of access. And, you know, certainly I know FedEx sees tons and tons of return from entertaining VIPs and customers and prospective customers at the racetrack through suites and chalets and things like that. They, they have found the return and found, you know, what works for them in this sport beyond just the eyeballs of the stickers being on the cars, right? We're essentially, these teams now, a marketing platform. We spend so much on social and digital to give our teams, or I mean sponsors, returns on their value. But that number has gone down over time. And we're trying to find kind of a floor of where that is. So we we have come to NASCAR, let's circle back now. We're asking them for roughly double of what we were getting because... We, we're not able to, to fill the gaps that we used to with sponsorship. So that's why you've seen championship teams go out of business. Like that should never happen, right? And so we want to create a stable business, one that isn't reliant as much on sponsorship. Uh, that's what the team's play and, and is. Is that if, if NASCAR, if you invest in us, you've invested in your tracks, you've invested in your entertainment, please invest in us because we are the product and you will get a biggest, your biggest return on value is if your teams are healthy. F1 said it, they publicly said it in an article that we came with the mentality that we're going to invest in our product and our teams. And we're going to get a return on that because the healthier they are, the better our sport is. I believe that that is the correct model for NASCAR. And so with us only sharing in 25% of the TV only revenue. there's never really been any sort of reward for us going out and selling more tickets because we don't see any ticket sales any of the parking any of that. DBC really covers that pretty well. Obviously the teams went public at the end of last year um, about their you know how displeased they were with kind of what NASCAR's offer was to them. I will say though, in the latest developments that I've learned, I believe that we will get a deal done. I believe that NASCAR and the teams are in a better spot now than they were two weeks ago. I believe that there's still a ton to iron out. Every fan I see on Twitter hates the charter system. People, the charters have to be, they have to be permanent. Absolutely have to be permanent. Why would anyone spend any money on a franchise knowing that franchise can be taken away? There is no value in a franchise if it can just be pulled at any moment that they say, no, sorry, we we don't want to renew the Charter deal. That makes our franchise values worth (laughs) nothing. So we have to make the Charters permanent. The Charter system is a good system. I don't care what any fan says because they don't know what that does. It gives us some sort of security that we're going to be racing each and every week. Yes, it does hamper teams from expanding. Uh, I know our team, you know, we would love to be three cars one day, but we have to go out and buy another charter. That's going to come at a cost, but that's a good thing. We want it to cost money to enter the sport. We do because that builds our franchise value. If you look at NBA teams, their values just have keep going up and up and up, and so we have to make the charters permanent to give us some sort of security that our investment in the sport is going to be long-term. That way, if, we, if someone from New York wants to come invest in our sport and spend money in a team, that's a good thing. That's a good thing that they're investing in the sport because the teams will spin it, activating at racetracks, having nicer fan experiences for people in the garage. The teams will spin it in a very responsible way. And, and, and unfortunately, we have cut so much it's the grass, right? Our grass was nice and green and long 10 to 12 years ago. And we've cut it, and we've cut it, and we've cut it. And now we're, we're to the dead grass and almost to the dirt. There is no more cutting that the teams can do to save money. So we know what, our, what it costs to go race a competitive car. We just need more revenue share to do that. And I believe, and I'm very optimistic, that the teams in NASCAR will get a deal done. The deal that you want or a compromise between the two? I think it's going to have to take some compromise on both sides. I really do. Um, But I think the teams in NASCAR were miles apart. And I think that they both have made legitimate arguments. Um, I think that, again, I've said it many times, the leadership of Steve Phelps is very valuable in our sport. And he has a story to tell to the France family of why investing in the teams is the right play. And, and I think he's doing a good job of sending the message that, that we have explained to him of, of why that investing in us is, is the right thing to do. And I think that uh, we're in a better place now than we've been in a very long time.
0: Can you share um, the argument, a, a brief argument from the other side as
1: to why NASCAR may want something different than what the teams want? Because what they will say is that we own racetracks. Their argument. Let, let's 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 give them their side of the. Yep. Let's let their side speak now, right? And I'm I'm gonna speak for them because I have the mic. <laughs> They're gonna say is that we have a lot to invest in the sport. It, it, we own racetracks? Those racetracks cost a lot of money to run. Other sports don't have the overhead of racetracks. What they've seen. What we're starting to see though is from places like the L.A. Coliseum that, do we really need to go, do we need to race at these fixed racetracks or are we just going to go, there's a lot of great racetracks out there. Austin, nor SMI, or NASCAR owns that track. They just go rent it for the weekend. Coda. Yeah, Coda. So we don't have to go back to these racetracks that have been around for forever. Now, NASCAR took out a big loan I guess for to make these tracks private SMI did as well. And that took an investment on their part to take these tracks private so they can have flexibility and schedules and, and whatnot. Um, it does cost money to, to be in NASCAR, right? They have a lot of officials. They got a lot of big buildings, right? And so they have overhead as well, but it's, you know, I, their, their franchise profits are, are, are high. Um, and so we just feel like there's a fair share. There's a balance there, but their arguments is that these racetracks cost money, uh, cost money to run them and we own them and we, and we have all that liability. And so that's why we teams cannot afford to give you what you think your fair share is. And so we say, well, we, we need some sort of compromise because it can't be the 75, 25 split that we currently have all other forms of sports share. On all the revenue, we only share in a small piece of the pie in one source, and that's we we, we need to we need to get all of our interests aligned. You know, the more we're aligned, the more that w- we're going to grow the sport together. And again, I'm more positive than ever than that that will happen. This deal ends at
0: the end of 2024. The current deal mm-hmm. ends at the end of 2024. Um, when do you think we come? To a close to an agreement on a on a new deal. Well, what NASCAR is NASCAR's exclusive
1: g- negotiating window with the TV our, our current partners in Fox and NBC has started now. It was February first, so I think that um, they've already talked money probably with those that group, and then they'll make a decision after discussions with them. I think there's a certain period time window months that happens that then they say okay they either want to take this to bidding with some outside people that are interested, um, or they decide to renew with those guys at a new number. And so I think within probably six months, we'll, we'll kind of know where where NASCAR lands on this. Okay,
0: so does that number then, for, for people who don't know, does that number, they they NASCAR strikes a deal with whoever the TV partner is going to be, or multiple TV partners, they get that number, and then you make a deal with NASCAR on how that is shared, or...
1: No, I think, I think NASCAR has to make a deal with us first. first. I I don't see how you go out and get the most money from a TV partner. If you don't have your house in order, it's kind of a weird yep. way to say it, but like, certainly that's going to play a factor. No TV partner wants any interruption in service whatsoever. Describe that with a definition, however you will. But they don't want any interruption in service. And with the teams publicly saying that they weren't happy with the deal, that could throw up red flags for TV. And so they, I think NASCAR is more inclined to get a deal done with the teams. That way, hey, they're happy. Here's what assets they can bring to the table. How can we maximize this deal? Got it.
0: Well, we asked some fans on Twitter. If they had any questions for you. And, of course, everyone. This ought to be interesting, Everyone has questions for me. Everyone has questions. I went through and picked a a couple of my favorites. All right. So, first up, who is in
1: your final four this year? Oh, final four. Yep. I'm going to go with Kyle Larson, Joey Logano, D.H., and William Byron. Okay. Any of those jump off the page at you as, wow, why Why'd you pick?
0: Uh well no it's not Larson Joey or or you, um that'd be a new career best for career best season for William Byron if he reaches the final four.
1: Yeah, I I believe that. Uh, I told um, Rod Moskowitz, uh, my agent at, at Pro Sport Management, that I thought William Byron last year. I told him I says I think William Byron will scare the final four. I says he's gonna make it to the round of eight he's going to scare the final four. He ain't going to make it, but it's going to be close. And he's like, oh, wow, really? I was like, yeah, I do. I think that he's he's ready to take that jump. And so, um, you know, I think that William uh, quietly puts himself in the final four. Yeah, you've been high on him
0: for a couple of I, I do remember, I, I guess it would have been 2020 or early 2021. You would say, I think this is going to be a good year. For William. Yeah. Or the next season is going to be a good year, which was last season. Yeah.
1: And it's crazy because he won the spring Martinsville race, but he went radio silent for like 20 weeks last year where he might have had like a top 10 or something like that. And then, um, but yeah, then he got, you know, hotter towards the end of the year. So uh I think that, uh yeah, I, I am. I'm high on Byron's long-term uh, talent. And I think that, uh, he's obviously got a great team with him.
0: Top three speedway racers you've raced
1: against. Ooh. Oh, so hard. So hard. All right. We already covered who I think the top five are currently uh, that are raced. All right. So in the past, anyone I've ever raced against, right? Yeah. All right. Dale jr. That's, that's an easy one. I think no one's going to leave him off the list of the top super speedway racers of the last 20, 30 years. He learned so much from his dad. and I know that's so cliche, cliche, but you watch Dale was so far ahead of his time. When I you go back and watch these super speedway races, the way he used the car behind him to go forward, the car beside him to go forward. Dale Jr. did that even before the field started catching on even decades later. Tony Stewart. Tony Stewart is someone that I paid attention to quite a bit and realized that that guy, once he gets a run, he knows how to bounce that run from one car to the next car, to the next car and keep a run going for two straight consecutive laps. If you look at like my last half a lap at Daytona 500 2016, when I went from fourth or fifth to winning, I had a run and it started off a turn two. And I was using the cars beside me and the car behind me to keep that run going. And it never stopped until I got to start finish line. So Tony really, really, really good did a good job of finding pockets of air and using that to propel his car. And it's that was special. That was special to watch him. And then uh, my third and final that I've raced against uh, you know, this is really close, really, really close between Joey and Brad. But I'm going to give the nod to Brad because I thought he accomplished a lot on super speedways before he really had a ton of teammate help. Um, so I'll put him in my Mount Rushmore of current super speedway racers um, and, and a guy that. Based on skill set alone, forget the equipment he's in. He's he's, he's a top th- three uh, in the last two decades on super speedways.
0: Okay. Let's just expand on that because there's four faces on Mount Rushmore. So that was your top three. Add one more face. That's good info.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, f- uh, let's see. All right. Well, then I'm adding Joey. Okay. I'm adding Joey to it then. And by the way, Ryan Blaney is really close to overtaking Joey. Like, they're close. They really are close. Ryan does a really good job of using run. He's like, Ryan Blaney is, to me, the modern Jamie McMurray at super speedway racing. I think he's aggressive. He does make flashy moves, but he's also very smart at, at times and finds a way to finish up front. So, Ryan's, Ryan's trending up on the uh, okay. the four-man route. So, rock, yeah, so rock. If, if he wins a 500, we well, are going to have to chisel. Yeah
0: change joey's face just a little bit to to fit ryan i'm gonna have to add some hair yeah because joey's
1: got new hair now (laughs) it's true it it looks good Uh, it's thick it's thick i'm wondering i'm wondering like is is like thick as his hair is and by the way let me just say this it took balls for joey to talk about hey i've i've had these issues and i did something about it and like if you look at him now, yes, he he he, he took some age off of himself he for did. sure, right? I mean, you were mentioning it on the plane, I you're think like, he looks good. You're I like, think. dude, this guy looks good, and I'm yep. like, he just looks different to me. <laughs> he looks different, but uh, yeah, he's. Uh, it took balls for him to go out there and now be like, hey, look at my look at my full head of hair, everyone. Yeah. You know, it. Uh, he looks different for sure, but. Props to
0: him, kudos. With the subtle updates to each manufacturer in twenty twenty three, how do you see each team faring to start the season?
1: All right, so uh, this hasn't got as much pub and that I would expect it gets. So basically, when we started the next gen car, all the manufacturers had to submit a a car for their body build and had to fall in a box. Okay. Now that box was supposed to be really, really tight where all the manufacturers had close to the same downforce and very close to the same drag numbers. So drag is basically how fast you go on the straightaway downforce is how fast you're going to go in the corners. And they all had to be in a really, really tight box. Well, they submitted them before we started cutting holes in windshields and fixing the driver heat issues from last year. So when we started testing and the driver started complaining about all the heat, NASCAR had to make a lot of adjustments to the actual car to kill the heat. What happened is the Toyota's body took a when that happened. You know, we were in the box and we were all close with Ford and Chevy. For whatever reason, when they cut the spoiler down, because you know we had high downforce, uh, we were going to have really low power, high downforce on intermediates. We built our body around a bigger spoiler, and so when NASCAR changed the rule a month before the season to cut the spoiler in half or less, it was a oh. Sh-. I wonder if we're still in the box because we lost a ton of speed at these tests, and we're like, man, what the heck is going on with? our cars are just not as fast. And so NASCAR or uh, Toyota and all the other manufacturers agreed to resubmit a, you know, their post adjustment body sometime in the spring of last year. And when they retested them, the Toyota was far outside the box on downforce. In other words, not to the good, not to the good at all. We were, we were at a huge deficit deficit. The Ford had the most downforce, and you saw them have to make adjustments to their front nose to get them back in the box. And then Chevy was just kind of a very good mix of both. So the Chevy had the most optimized body that of any of the cars last year. Just off of if everyone's motor was the same, everyone had the same setup, the Chevy was going to run the fastest just simply because of the downforce and drag ratio that they have. So, with Toyota being so far outside the box, NASCAR said to, to Toyota that, okay, we admit you guys are off, we will allow you to make an adjustment for next year, but we're going to need everyone to resubmit based off of our where we're at with our spoiler package and all that stuff, right? So, we resubmitted, Chevy resubmitted, Ford resubmitted. This year, they are all back in the box. Now... Am I going to pretend that we are the best? No, we are still not the best. The Chevy still has a small advantage on the drag and downforce levels, but it's a lot smaller than it was. I mentioned the Fords. I think we're gonna be fast in super speedways because their drag numbers have been reduced in the off season. So I think they're gonna be very fast on probably the intermediates and the high speed tracks, uh, this year, we saw them really excel on short tracks last year. I think that intermediates, you're going to see the Fords and your super, super speedways, the Fords are going to be ones to beat for the pole. So other than that, everyone's in a very tight box. I think the, the Fords and the Toyotas are very similar from, from the, from the data I've seen Chevy still just are the best by just a smidgen over everyone. So, um, I, I think the competition will be a, a little better this, better this year. Um, I, I think that, you know, again, we had a lot of winners last year. I don't think that that happens this year. I think the winners, I think I publicly said about 13 or 14 last week on the, on this show. Uh, so, I think that that number gets reduced, but I think that there's more parity on, on the types of tracks. Like, road courses, you just could say that Toyota's, forget it. We're not, none of us are going to run worth a shit on road courses because our, you know, the, the way our arrow was, it was just really, really bad on, on road courses. Hopefully that is, is a, a lo- fixed a little bit with this resubmission. So long winded to that answer, but I but, think overall more parity is going to be the, the story this year.
0: So as a driver and a team owner trying to win races, you feel more comfortable this year with
1: where I do Toyota's at. I do. I think that we were at a huge disadvantage last year. It's amazing we as a manufacturer won as many races and as a team we that we won last year with the deficit that we had. Another change um, going into twenty twenty
0: three is that your race team, twenty three eleven, is now or now has its own pit crew yeah. for Bubba and Tyler Reddick. Um, there was an NBC Sports article that came out last week talking about how, as a team, you were approaching this differently. I'm just curious if you could
1: explain Yeah, so that. our different approach is this, right? Is that, you know, there was a lot made publicly last year about, you know, how struggling our pit crews were. Listen, it, it was just a struggle on our 11 team. It was a struggle on the 19 at some point of the year, the 20 at some point of the year. It was a struggle for everyone, really, except for the 18 car who had the most rock solid pit crew. For the entire year. Um, so we did a reshuffle. The 11 car will have the, the uh, 19 team from last year. I think 20 is going to remain the same. The 18 team, who was my team at the end of last year, will now be on the 54. And then... Martin gets the 11? Martin gets... No. The 11 is now on the 54. You said the 18 is on the 54. The 18 team... Sorry, is on Martin's team. Okay, and then my first team from last year for the first three quarters of the year will be on the 54. Um, I think they're all going to be better. There's there's obviously been some big changes within the JGR pit crews, so we made this decision um, many many months ago, probably six months ago, that we were going to do our own pit crews, and I I wouldn't take that decision back. And I think that Joe Gibbs Racing has tremendous facilities that you know we use as well, but I I could not afford for the my two cars to be the fifth and sixth best team I I've, I I've invested way too much money in this team for us to get the fifth pick the sixth pick of the draft right like we we needed to we weren't going to be able to be better unless we had we picked our own guys right so we just recruiting outside the jgr camp and we also uh recruiting inside the jgr camp and came up with our two teams now. They are mostly filled with uh, veterans and experience because we feel like that's important when it comes to racing. Um, You know, some of these young guys are super, super fast, but they lack reps and mistakes happen because you don't have reps. I mentioned the reps earlier in the podcast. So I just think that we are taking a different approach. Um, Now, are we going to be the fastest pit crew every single weekend? probably not but we set realistic goals for our pit crews and that is keep us in the race our drivers are our quarterbacks keep the ball in their hand i need you to be the offensive lineman who give our quarterback time to make a pass time to you know for our running back to run the ball in like you're a supporting cast you're in the game for two minutes of a two and a half three hour event i need you to just maintain for us there like Keep us in the game. It's so hard to pass nowadays. You, Your pit crew is, is, is your supporting cast. I don't need you to win me a race. My driver will do that. My engineers back at the shop will do that. My fast race cars will do that. I need you to just keep me in it. So our mentality was, if you can get us within a tenth of the eighth fastest pit crew on any given weekend, that's going to keep us in the game. We're going to maintain our position most times than not on pit road. And we're going to optimize our results because of that. And that's, that's where we've set our goals. Yeah. There was an article or there was
0: a quote in the article. Um, I think it was from Shiplet, Josh Shiplet, the the pit crew coach um, that if you had four stops, three of them were nine second stops or the, the, some of the fastest stops, but then the last stop was 13, 14 seconds. And the data shows that it's an overall net loss. Yes. On position. Yeah.
1: He, he, he explained that to us too, right? Is that, if you had a team that ran 10 seconds, 10 seconds, 10 seconds, 10 seconds, and there's a team that ran 9-0, 8-9, 9-6, and 12-5, I don't have the math quickly in my head, but, but the, there was one that's probably going to be a little quicker, which is the one that ran faster. But that one you lost more positions than that team that went 10-0 all day long. So I think that, there's just a mentality there that we're, we're we're going for to to reach consistency, and that, I believe, will be the best net result on track.
0: And lastly, from these Twitter questions, um, this one I found and I, I thought it was funny and it was a good question to end on uh, that's not on your sheet. Uh, someone heard through the grapevine that you got a Darlington stripe on your rental going through the Daytona tunnel a few years ago, and we just wanted to
1: know if you could clarify that. <laughs> <laughs> they need to widen the f- tunnels at Daytona. The tunnels are too narrow. It's too narrow. Poor guys over there having to write down every single time that I threw out the bomb. My mom is not going to be happy hearing all these beeps. Oh, I know, she just covers her ears. but She's on the bus yeah. every time you swear. Oh, Danny. I know. So the Daytona tunnel, listen, I think once I... Re- do I text and drive? Yes. I usually do it though when I'm running under ten miles per hour. So in parking lots, you know, in stoplights, slowing down for stoplights. Don't do it at speed. Don't do it at speed. Or at so, all. Yeah, or at all. But <laughs> a few but maybe let's just call it four years ago. I don't think it was four years ago. Because I was in the I, Jared, it's my story. Okay, go ahead. You're gonna have to let me tell this. Go ahead. Four years ago. I walked outside and there was a Darlington stripe down the right side of the rental. And I'm like, what, what happened? Jordan says to me, she's like, I'm sorry. I couldn't see over the steering wheel. It's really tight. And I just, I hit the guardrail and I'm like, how does that happen? I don't understand how that happens. Let's fast forward two years later. I did it. I did the same thing. I right sided. Ripped, I mean, I peeled the door open on the right side of my rental, but I was texting while while it happened. And it's just narrow. It's just narrow. And so I peeled the right side door off of my car. So Corey LaJoy told that story, ratted me out, and it's true, I'm, I'm afraid to say. I I have peeled two right sides off the, my rental cars at Daytona. Chip, fix your racetrack. Widen the tunnel. See you in Daytona. Yeah, so looking forward to it. Thank everyone for tuning in uh, this week. We're um, about to start the season, so we're gonna have some great commentary after the Daytona 500. Can't wait to talk about it uh, next Monday, and we'll have a lot for you. But uh, man, we it seems like we covered a lot here on the off off week, right? It's we, we had plenty to talk about. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, longer than last week. Yep. We thank great. everyone for tuning in. Uh, Jared, why don't you give us the little tags on the follows and rate and mm. all that stuff?
0: Yep. If you made it this far, uh please rate, review, uh, give us a give us a number on wherever you get podcasts, Spotify, Apple. And then you can follow us on all of our socials. Dirty Mo Media is at Dirty Mo Media. My socials at Denny Hamlin and at Jared D. Allen.
1: <laughs> and Denny's <laughs> Yeah, well. Jared. Yeah. Those of you who didn't tune in last week, Jared, uh, you know, his his social media he's got my social media on his phone as well so uh careful with your dms people out there (laughs) uh yeah so uh at denny hamlin for me at jared d allen for my co-host so we'll see y'all next week
0: check out dirty mo media on twitter facebook tiktok
1: and instagram